This episode is brought to you by HP+. In a world full of smart devices, isn't it about time your printer got smart too? Now printing is smart with HP+. And the HP Smart app is how it all happens. You can print from your phone with just a tap, no matter where you are. Even from your garage slash home office slash yoga studio. Huh, that is smart. HP+. Learn more about smart printing at hp.com slash smart. This episode is brought to you by PayPal. These days, choices are everywhere. Like, for instance, the milk in your coffee. Would you like it from a cow? A nut? A tree? Everyone wants options. And now your customers have a new option in the way they pay. With PayPal in person. Just generate your unique QR code in the PayPal app for them to scan. And start accepting PayPal in person today. Learn more at paypal.com slash us slash get QR code. This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Home is where the haunted. Welcome to episode 82 of the Washed Up Emo Podcast. Last but not least in the American Football Series is guitar player Steve Holmes. Steve and I chat about that he's only played guitar in American football. That's it. Since the band broke up. So they just kind of brought him back and just said, start playing 90s emo. Uh, Steve also turns the tables on the podcast and starts asking me about emo. And we debate a little bit, which was a lot of fun. Uh, And finally, he goes through his personal seven inches while we're sitting on the phone and talks about the new album at length. Very, very good chat. American Football's new album is out October 21st. That is tomorrow on Polyvinyl Records and available on 180-gram orange vinyl CD cassette and digitally through polyvinylrecords.com. Plus, all orders come with an instant download for the full album at checkout. So you can listen to the whole thing right away while waiting for your order to arrive. Don't forget, use the code WASHEDUP, all one word. You get 10% off your order. All one word, washed up. 10% off your order. This is episode 82 of the Washed Up Emo podcast final in the American football series with guitar player Steve Holmes a little bit uh yeah so I grew up in Wheeling Illinois um which is a little suburb outside of Chicago like 30 minutes northwest of the city um and that's where Mike I met at Wheeling High School and I would say I first started getting into punk like my freshman sophomore year uh this was when would this be 91 92 ish so it was kind of you know right right around nirvana getting huge and you know alternative rock and punk rock kind of becoming mainstream um and then i think my little clique of friends we all were uh, getting into, I, I think primarily, I think the the main influence was Discord Records and everything they put out was kind of our entry point into the DIY world. And then everyone we knew was starting bands. Um, like our freshman year, Cabin Jazz was already a thing. Um, and so just started going to, you know, little suburban house shows, seeing our friends play, you know, Gage was another suburban band that we all looked up to. They were a few years older than us and kind of took the cap and jazz guys under their wing. And we kind of just got, uh, enmeshed into this little suburban punk rock scene. 
did you feel anything special about it? Did you, I mean, again, you're not going to have the foresight to be like, people are going to talk about this 20 years later. But, I mean, it's like those bands are still mentioned. Yeah. Um, I mean, it definitely felt special. I think, uh, I actually remember the first time, uh, you know, one of one of us, as it were, put a record out. This was the uh, Octung Chicago's Y compilation uh, it was like a CD that came out at the end of, I want to say it was the end of our freshman year, and Cap and Jazz had their first song on there, a song called Naive. And uh, that had all these bands, like that was our introduction to, I think the Smoking Popes were on there, Cap and Jazz was on there, uh, the Vindictives, Eight Bark, all these kind of bands from the Burbs that are from Chicago, Bull Weevils. Um, I think Screeching Weasel was even on there. bunch of bunch of Chicago bands, and uh, just seeing friends of ours who were high school kids on this compilation with like to me Screeching Weasel was huge, even though by comparison they were just a few years older than us and <laughs> had put out a few records. But it seemed like they were you know as big as a, a punk rock band could get in my mind at the time. So it seemed like oh, oh wow we're we you know friends of ours are in the same league with these other bands. It was it was really exciting and then like i think right around the same time i probably got my first guitar and started my first band and the the ambition was only as far as i want to put a record out like having your own seven inch just seemed like the coolest thing in the world that but was it i don't think any of us thought beyond that <laughs> yeah because i mean a seven i mean that that was a lot i think even for me it was getting a band together and someone that 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 actually had a four track recorder that yeah was right even yeah, a friend of mine my friend George, he was, you know, he had a four track from, from, you know, day one. And we would always go to his house and make these little recordings of, you know, terrible bands that we were coming up with. And just, uh, yeah, you always had one friend who could record and then everyone would just show up at his house and make, make tapes. Um, it was fun. It was, it was definitely, you know, a crazy, crazy time to, to be a kid and, and realizing that, you know, other kids were figuring out, oh, we could, we can put records out, you know, just, it was basically a friend of yours would decide I'm starting a record label and we're going to, you know, figure out how to press our own seven inches and, you know, make, I don't even remember what it would have been at the time, 500 of them, a thousand, maybe that would probably be really overstretching it. (laughs) But um, yeah, it was, it was cool. It was, it was definitely a scene There was um, like, even in high school, it was like cap and jazz gauge friction um, smoking popes were sort of on the periphery, slightly different scene, but uh, and then the more punk rock side would be like Screeching Weasel and the Vindictives and Los Crudos and all those bands. And you know, Green Day would come through town before they were Green Day, uh, Jawbreaker, you know, all, all those bands, all the Discord bands. I remember seeing um, like Lungfish probably with um. They probably had trench mouth opening for them or something like that at some, you know, night to Columbus in the suburbs. And then what, you and, know, again, that, 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 that stuff spoke to you. You were, what, what else were you, I mean, you were going to shows. Were you doing anything else? Were you doing a zine? Were, were you playing with Mike yet? Um, no, it was just, just being in a band. Yeah, I think, so I probably got, I think I got my first guitar, I want to say it was a Christmas of my sophomore year. And then, like January, when school started back up, I was in a band. <laughs> like, didn't know how to play anything. Didn't even know any power chords yet. Um, 
and the, you know, a friend of mine played bass. He's like, all right, let's do it. And then he realized in our first practice, like, oh, he can't play at all. So he invited his younger brother to join the band. And this was a friend of mine, Jimmy Marsh, who actually later was in a band called Truluma with uh, I love some of Truluma. the guys from Gage. Yeah. That's a great band. If people haven't checked so he, them out, Truluma's awesome. Yeah. He joined that band uh, on guitar to teach me how to play guitar. And then that one broke up, and I told him to switch to bass, and we had this other band. Um, so we were, you know, most of my bands in high school, not much came of it. I don't think any of those even put out, you know, a comp song or anything like that. Uh, and Mike was playing in cap and jazz all through high school. Um, yeah, so we didn't really start playing together until college. And we lived, we like, we both went to U of I together and were roommates all four years in college. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. I guess I didn't yeah. know that or maybe I read that at some point. But so then when, was there something about when you guys got together and started playing that clicked that you, or was it more of just you, were, were you paired together? Like, was it with those things where you answered? No, we, no, we were friends. We were friends, friends in high school. So okay. yeah, we, we decided we we're going to be roommates on purpose. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, like, like when we first went to school, uh, cabin jazz had just broken up. Like they did their last tour that summer before college and, and it broke up. And, you know, Mike, he was only the drummer up to that point. He hadn't played guitar in a band, but he's a really, he was even then a really good guitar player and had written a bunch of the cabin jazz songs. Um, like, I think he wrote a lot of the bass lines and a lot of the guitar parts would start with riffs that he came up with. And then Vic would make them a little more complicated. Um, so like a lot of our first playing, I'd be like, Hey Mike, how do you play? Who do I love you? And he'd show me how to play it. <laughs> Stuff like that. Um, or I'd say, Hey, what's, how does this one song go? And he would, he would show it to me. And then like that year, I don't think we were really writing anything. Like I was actually in all friends of mine from high school. That was kind of a, you know, in the post hardcore emo vein of, you know, we want to be Fugazi or whatever. Um, and that year, so we met Steve right when we got to school. He had been friends of friends of ours, and I met him probably the first week of college. And he was in a band and asked me to join that band, and I played I played them probably twice. And I decided, oh, these guys aren't as good as my other band, so I, I didn't join that band. And I remember the actual deciding point was Steve Lamos. I was like, hey, he's, he's still learning the drums. He's not as good as the drummer in my other band, which is ironic because then he became a brilliant drummer like, almost overnight. Um, I can't remember if it was freshman year or sophomore year, but some, some point that year, uh, Lamo started the one up downstairs with these two brothers. Um, and they asked Mike to join as a singer. And then I remember seeing the first time we saw them play, this was before Mike was in the band. We were both like, Holy shit. How did Lamos became like John McIntyre in like the three <laughs> months since I rehearsed with him last just by teaching himself out of these little jazz books, sitting in his house practicing for 12 hours straight. So that's, that's kind of how that happened. And then, uh, so Mike was in that band for maybe six months. They recorded a single that never came out or didn't come out for like a decade. Uh, and then as soon as they broke up, I was like, all right, I'm going to jump on this and now start a new band with Steve Lamos because my other band had broken up at that point. <laughs> And then As for, most bands do. That's yeah. like, these things usually come and go in two years. <laughs> it's like, all right, on to the next thing. And then when, when you guys came together and started kind of playing, what, for, for you as a guitar player, what were some things that you were channeling when you were making some of those first, you know, if you were making some of the American football stuff originally, what were some things? Yeah, it, 
it's it's funny because I I recently started putting together uh, like a Spotify playlist of influences like to to put out in the context of like American football. These are some of the influences, and I I wound up going overboard and putting like a twelve hour, hundred and fifty song list together. That's basically like my autobiography of music <laughs> from like you know as early as like, the first record I ever remember owning, which was Thriller, you know, when I was a kid. Um, up to present day. And the funny thing is like, if I look at what songs on that list are actually like, I would consider punk, maybe 20 of them. (laughs) It's like, it's a blip on the radar in my evolution as a musician and as a person, and even that, that quote unquote emo bands, there's maybe a dozen songs out of that whole list. Um, Although that might be less because a lot of them you can't find on Spotify, but um, I think Right, right around freshman year. So I, up to that point, had been really into all the post-hardcore emo stuff um, that I was into in high school. And then when Mike and I became roommates, we started, you know, branching off into um, Tortoise was brand new around that time, or at least new to us, and seeing Cake. And uh, Mike turned me on to The Smiths and Red House Painters and Smog. And um, Tim was always sending us tapes. I think we heard like Nick Drake for the first time from Tim that freshman year. Um, so a lot of different stuff. I think our, our tastes began to expand kind of exponentially once we hit college, which is, I think, typical of anybody. Um, so by the time American football started, I was way less into punk and more into, um, you know, Red House Painters, Elliot Smith, Codeine, The Smiths, like that type of stuff. Mm-hmm. And then you know, you know sort think, of the as a as a as a guitar player, were you stoked on those guitar players specifically, or did you have other people that you were sort of, you know, into as a guitar player, but maybe not their band? Um, or not. Sometimes I I was like that where I liked I liked the band, and but then there's some bands I just like their guitar player. Yeah, I don't know. I'm trying to think if there were specific guitar players that I looked up to. Um, obviously, Johnny Marr is, is mm-hmm. a huge influence, one of the greatest guitar players of all time. Um, but I was, you know, I, at the time, I was really a novice. I think I was kind of just still learning guitar. I'd only been playing for whatever, four years maybe, um, and kind of just getting past the, you know, octaves and power chords and you know some subtle complexity but but not really knowing the instrument i I think ironically you know mike and i stumbled into alternate tunings via nick drake and whatever else and um i think that was just a thing where you could write something that sounded really cool and and seemed more complex than it was because it just put you in a different mindset it wasn't just like oh first position chords and power chords you kind of had to it made it like a foreign instrument and that was that was just even to this day if i like the new record um i think there's maybe one tuning that we used before and the rest of them are new tunings that we came across or made up um there's something about it just it's, it's easy if i find a tuning i've never messed around with before and sit down with it for 15 minutes i can come up with a riff or something that will turn into a song um so i think that was kind of what i was really into at that time from a writing perspective and also, I think, you, think what, well, and also, you guys were switching in, in instruments too, right? Like, wouldn't I feel like if you were, you know, were you changing up, or maybe that was maybe on the new record? But it just seemed. I thought I read that that you guys had, you know, sometimes you know Mike would say, "Oh, but what about this drum thing?" Or if it's Lamo saying, "Hey, I have this 
this this trumpet line, maybe that could be the vocal line. Yeah, there was a little of that. If we, if we had more gear, maybe. <laughs> I think, you know, by default, I played guitar all the time. Um, you know, would have liked to switch to bass or something, but usually Mike would play bass if we did that. We never, like, Lamos won't get from behind the kit. Even now, there's three drummers in the band, and he's like, get out of here, I'm the drummer. <laughs> he doesn't want anyone messing with the drums. Um, but, yeah, it definitely, we all had, it was definitely an interchange of ideas, and, and Lamos would, he would always grab the horn to come up with melody ideas, and it was a, a way more uh, involved drummer, as far as arrangement-wise, than, than I think most drummers are. And for you personally, were you aware of what was going on after the record came out in 99 were you aware Not that it all. was getting any anything going on i mean well vaguely i i guess i i can't say not at all so polyvinyl is awesome about royalties and you know the checks kept coming so <laughs> that much i knew every every six months or once a year we would be getting royalty checks so i knew somebody kept buying it but i didn't re- i never really thought about it i never really did the math on how many I always just thought it was, oh, new people must be discovering Owen, and because of that, then they hear of American football. That was kind of how I thought of it in my mind. That was obviously and I didn't realize that it had kind of, <laughs> yeah, I didn't know it had taken on its own you know, following or kind of had a life of its own, totally separate from Owen or any of these other bands. And then that That sort was a shock. Yeah, so that was, what was that moment where you're like, okay, wait a minute, this is kind of bigger than I thought and discussions got more serious. Was it someone from polyvinyl? Yeah, not till. So, so the, the whole reunion stuff happened because, um, I had like a box of cassettes of old, just whatever stuff from back in the nineties. And I knew on one of those cassettes, there was a song that we'd never released that was recorded at a show or something. So I was like, I should find that. And, uh, you know, maybe polyvinyl will put that up for like a free download as an MP3 or something. And so I had a friend of mine digitize it. That was a song called The Sevens. And I emailed it to Polyvinyl. This was probably in 2012, maybe. Um, and that's what started the whole thing. They're like, you know, Matt at Polyvinyl heard it. He's like, whoa, where'd you get this? He's like, okay, send, what, what else do you have? Send me everything you've got. So I sent them just a box of cassettes and then they digitized them all and kind of weeded through it to see if any of it was possibly usable. And they, they came back and said, here's, you know, here's the top maybe 15 tracks. What do you guys want to do with this? And, and that kind of started this whole thing. So we were a lot of email chains going around and, and uh, Steve, Mike and I talking about, you know, should we put this out? I mean, it kind of sounds like shit. <laughs> Most of it was literally boombox recordings on, you know, taped over God knows what else on cassette that's been sitting in my basement for 15 years. Um, and so we ultimately decided, all right, let's, let's just pick the best dozen or whatever we pick and make it a bonus, you know, bonus disc of the album since it's coming up on the 15 year anniversary. So that's how the reissue of the first album came out. And we're like, Polyvinyl said, why don't you guys write up some liner notes? I wrote up kind of track by track liner notes on everything. Um, and then when they announced that, that's when we first were like, oh, people care about this because I think the day they announced the that was crashed. coming out, it like crashed. The, yeah, it crashed the polyvinyl site. And I think the same day, Mike's booking agent got offers for the Champagne Pig, Pygmalion Festival and uh, to play the Webster Hall shows. And that's when we were like, oh, wow, this is the thing. <laughs> 
And I remember looking up, I'd never even been to Webster Hall or heard of it, really. I looked it up and I was like, I was like, holy shit. I'm like, this can't be right. Do they know who we are? <laughs> like, like, there's no way we could sell out this room. I was like, it must, because there's three rooms there, right? I was like, it must be the small room. And they're like, no, the big room. I'm like, 1,500? Are they crazy? Like, we'd never played anywhere near that. Like, our last show ever was in front of maybe 100 people. And you're now going to play in front of 4,500 over a weekend. Right. So yeah, crazy. that was insane. Yeah, the I don't know if you remember, but I DJed the Sunday show. And yes. I, I had so much fun because it was, you know, every, it was like, I, I knew who was in the room. And yeah. it was fun to know that these songs, like whatever, I knew what to play. And it was fun to see the response from the crowd. But then I think, um, I believe it was Nate, saying this or maybe it was Lamos but like there was just this great energy between you know even if you fucked up no one cared they were just happy you were there and I think that's a yeah really there cool was so moment. much goodwill and we kind of got through on on the audience was you know flubs and all that in mind <laughs> and we, I, that was one we we say now that we've played you know 40 shows around the world over the last two years like I kind of wish we could have those ones back because we're a much, much tighter band than we were, you know, that was our second show and we were nervous. <laughs> you yeah. Tell. And it's, but it was fun. And it's New York and you've got everybody there and there's press. And yeah, it was, it was a really big deal. Yeah. And a lot of people, because nobody knew if that was going to be it. I think most people assumed this is it. Cause that's at the time, that's all that we had planned. So people literally came, flew from overseas and people came from all over for those shows. So rad. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, well, I just, I love the sort of this, yeah, guys literally had no idea, um, and being able to kind of, you know, do that. And, um, it kind of leads into the new record, which, you know, as we're leading into the release, like I, I love what you guys did. And, and I think what it sounds like is something of you guys all back together. And yes, it's, you guys are better musicians. You are different people you have different experiences to go on different music that you've been listening to this whole time so um you know it's i i implore people not to just think it's going to be never meant 12 times um because it won't um and just i was you know really stoked on the the variety of the record yeah it it was a lot of fun i think it's you know we kind of for a while like you know we we'd been playing for two years now and probably a year in we started asking you know should should we could we do we want to make another record and we'd we'd written a couple songs we'd had a few demos flying around and it was you know a lot of people like oh don't do it you know you don't want to ruin the the legacy or whatever and i think that we we just kind of laughed at that (laughs) it's kind of absurd that anyone heard of this band in the first place it was basically you know bedroom nerd rock project of three college kids and the fact that anyone has even heard it is insane so we're like well we're having fun we like playing together we like being able to play shows when we want and we're kind of getting sick of playing the same 12 songs forever so if we're going to keep doing this we we should write some new music otherwise we should just stop and so we said all right let's let's write some new music and see what happens um so that's i mean that's really why we're doing it it's because it's fun and we're still having fun are there any favorites from the record any ones that stuck out yeah, that you enjoyed I, making or things that... I, I love all of them, actually. I, I think it's a really good record. I'm really proud of it. I think uh, 
you can listen to it front to back and every song is good and you kind of get different things out of them. But I think Home is Where the Haunt is is probably the one I'm most proud of. I think that, that song is the hit. Came told, out great. I yeah. Told, I told Mike that when Owen came through. I said, you haven't released the hit yet. <laughs> right. It's kind of funny. You know, you get, you get, we're not really a singles band. We're an album band. Yes. And you get, you know, the record labels try to pick, these are the singles. And, you know, I don't think any of the ones that they've picked are ones we would pick. <laughs> we, I think all three songs they've put out so far are from side B. And I would argue the four best songs in the record might be side A. And none of those came out, but that's okay. They're, I think they're, that will... <laughs> hopefully make people that much more excited when they get it and like, oh, holy shit, some of the best songs are still on the album and we haven't heard them yet. Yeah. Also, another one for me, I've been so long, or so lost for so long. Um, I yeah. That, and that, that was, was the I first believe- one we wrote. I, I actually wrote that um, very early in, in the reunion and we played that one. Uh, we did like a New Year's run of dates around new years of 2014 in chicago did four nights in a row and we played that one at a couple of those shows and it's probably a different version no lyrics obviously yeah so that one's been around a while um born born to lose is another fave yeah i love that one well that one how was that was that you know was that you guys sending things over to each other and then or did it come together in the studio little of both. That one specifically is interesting because it, it was built around um, a song I wrote. And then Mike took the main guitar riff and slightly changed it. And then he's like, I'm going to play your part. <laughs> you play something else. And so he, he kind of rewrote that part and come up with the, the chorus part. So that one, I mean, all of them are definitely collaborations. Everybody wrote. Um, it's kind of neat how sometimes you start with one thing and it evolves into something totally different. And and that one and another one have vibes on it with Nate playing. It sounds really awesome. And the beat on that song is insane. It's, try to count that one out. It's it's a weird weird stuff going on oh, time wise in that I song. I'm sure someone will on October 21st. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, any other thing? You know, sort of. Uh, you know, you're looking ahead. You have a few shows. Um, do you guys feel? like there's more life in shows because I kind of, when I Lamos brought this up and uh, which was the first guy that spoke to from all you guys. And he kind of said, this is, this is a really rad part-time job. Totally. And if yeah, you, got, you guys are kind of, kind of evolved into at this point <laughs> because you have, you've got, I mean, Nate's got a kid on the way, you, you know, everybody's got families and things and jobs and uh, you know, I'm, I didn't, you know, I'm sure you have stuff going on, so it's kind of fun to, you guys can kind of come and go when you want to. Yeah, that, that's what's great about it is I, I think, you know, finding kind of success later in life. Like I, I hadn't played in a band for 10 years before this reunion stuff came up. Um, so you, you take it way less seriously than young people do when like this is their life and all they care about is their band and the success of their band. For us, this is, you know, we we love the band and it's fun, but this might be the thirtieth most important thing going on in my life on any given day. Like it's it's not that important in the scheme of things, um, but it's a really fun hobby, and the fact that we can do it kind of when we want to, and you know we can get offers for things and say no, sorry that doesn't work. That's you know I've got you know my kid has a play that weekend or whatever it is. Um, it makes it more fun because we can we can pick and choose and and it's all gravy, you know, it's none of this was supposed to happen. So anything we get out of it is, is, you know, awesome. And 
we're just, yeah, we're just having fun. What, what what do you do full time? What is the well, obviously family, but what you know? What's the work stuff for you? What does the work like? I I work at a, a large like uh, HR payroll outsourcing company. Some uh, service director. So I've got a you know legit corporate white collar day job. Nice. Yeah. And it pays the bills. You pays can, the bills. You can still shred. And, you know. <laughs> I don't think I ever shredded. That doesn't sync up with this band necessarily. I think Mike made the joke that I think, I don't know if I'm going to obviously paraphrase it wrong, even though I could go listen back and maybe I'll fix it. But it was something effective, you know, like you started playing and it was almost as if you had, you know, came out of the 90s and was just writing the riffs um, like it was. Um, And he was like really stoked on it. Like what, what your sort of style, it was just like right there. What for the new stuff? Yeah, and he was like, I guess he yeah. was like, he was like, that's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so whatever comes natural, I exactly. think it's, it's that, a certain yeah. vibe that we're you know, we, you know, we've been playing these songs for two years and we kind of know what fits in the context of this band, and it's it's kind of easy to write for when you're in a certain mindset. But it's also natural. That's what you're naturally doing, and I think that yes. that's kind yeah, of my, right. I'm that. untrained. Yeah. <laughs> like I never took guitar lessons. I can't read music, but I that's how I play guitar. So that's what comes out. And that's what I mean about people looking at this record with those eyes of that that's it's it's you guys together in a room. Um yep. and that's what you know, the early comparisons to Owen and things and yes, it's his voice, but this thing it's you three and Nate, you know, together. Yeah, and that's what it was. I mean, the the writing process was obviously we don't we don't live in the same city, so it was a lot of hey, I wrote this riff, posted to the Dropbox, and everyone will listen to it and see if they like anything. And then, you know, Mike and I would get together and kind of arrange some riffs face to face. But we only of the four of us getting in a room and actually okay, let's let's bang through arrangements on these. That was that was what it took to figure out what worked and what didn't work and and what we all liked. And you know, that part was pretty quick. Like it, the funny thing is, people are like, oh, it's it's like a second new album. You had you know, they say you have your whole life to make your first album and a year to make the second album, whatever. It's like, well, we had our whole lives twice to make our first album. But the writing was really quick. I mean, we, we wrote these songs over a period of maybe five months or six months and then went in the studio and banged them out. And it was pretty quick. It wasn't wasn't quite, you know, a 17-year buildup like some people would think. It was very fresh and new and exciting for us when we're writing it which again makes it natural and you do you write do you, you kind of had that 15 years or 16s however many long to to do that and it's it it, it if it was forced um it, it wouldn't come out the right way i think yeah um did this inspire you to play more to work on more music or this, this is this is kind of your outlet for music this yeah this, this is way. it I, between between real life and family like this is I got my hands full just you know staying on top of the American football stuff you're not gonna see a Steve Holmes solo record anytime soon okay <laughs> we have we have squashed that rumor yeah no 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 time for any things like that but no I think I think we'll this will keep us busy for the foreseeable future obviously we only have a handful of shows on the calendar but we're you know we're looking at next year and getting some stuff planned out cool. And anything else that you you know you think that the that you would want to do as American football? Is there anything that you kind of you guys sit together and kind of dream or be like, oh, how would it be cool to do this? Like, what haven't you done? I mean, you got to play around the world for the last record, and 
you know, crash your label's website. I mean, these are yeah. great goals. Yeah. yeah um, I don't know. I, w- there's a lot of places we haven't been yet. We've only been to, I think like 20, 21 cities. So most of the States we haven't been, <laughs> we've been to, you know, Chicago, New York, LA, San Francisco, Seattle, I think Atlanta, Denver, that might be it. Um, oh, and Austin. So we've, we got a lot of cities we'd like to go to just in the States and we've hardly done anything in Europe outside of the UK. So there's plenty of stuff that we still want to get to eventually. Um, I would like to go back on comedy bang, bang, my favorite podcast. Maybe when we're in LA, we'll make a repeat appearance. Yes. And I think you guys should all do one. You should all do another song exploder, not just Mike. song exploder. Yeah, that would be nice. If you'll have us back, we'll do it again. Now now we actually have the stems, because last time we couldn't find the record. <laughs> <laughs> Which happened back then. You just didn't save that shit. Right. No, we are, the master tapes of our album, don't ex- we don't know where they are. Been wow. Yeah. I hope I hope. I have, Matt, the, I have I the EP hope... in my house, but we don't have the, ma- the album itself. I hope Matt from Polyvinyl saved this one. Put it in a safe place. <laughs> Yeah, this one we've got. <laughs> uh, you know, you guys have been independent, and even you know, with the success, obviously you didn't really realize it, but you saw the royalty checks, and sort of staying with Polyvinyl for this, I think, was a really cool statement um, to sort of stay true to who you guys had been with. Um, I'd love your, you know, you talked a little bit about Polyvinyl, and you know, cool, but anything else about them that people should know? I just love that you kind of stuck with them. Yeah, no, we wouldn't have considered anything else, I don't think. They're they're the best. You know, we've known Matt and Darcy since we were kids, basically, and, you know, kind of grown together. Obviously, Mike's been with them the whole time, putting out his own records. So it was totally natural to, to do it with them, and we couldn't be happier about it. Cool. And now Wichita, too, which is our UK-Europe label, which is very, very cool people as well. So we're excited to, to be with them. Worldwide. Yeah, that's new. Uh, and then for you, I mean, it being the independent spirit, you mentioned Fugazi, obviously a huge influence. And to those, you know, things in you, that sentiment, you're kind of passing that on to the next generation of people to show that, you know, these are the, these are the kind of ways to do things. Um, and I think that that's really important. You know, I took stuff from Fugazi or if it was another band kind of mentioning things in a certain way. Do you feel that that needs to be passed on more or it's more of the kids that find it great. If they don't, they don't. Yeah. I think, you know, that, that group of kids has kind of always been there. Um, and I think it, you know, aesthetics change generation to generation, but there's always the, the, you know, little indie punk scene, whatever happening in every high school and college around the world. And, and, uh, the fact that any of them cared about our band is awesome. Um, but uh, I don't know. I don't know what, you know, I'm not sure what people will make of, you know, this record versus the old record. I don't think we really care. <laughs> it's like, we, we like it. It's good enough for, and I think, I think if you're a fan of the old record, uh, I think you'll probably like this record, but you know, who's to say? Um, I do. I did want to ask you something though, Tom. So the whole emo thing, which we, we skirted around, but, so I always, I, I like, like probably every musician you've ever interviewed, no one, have, like who has embraced the title of emo? Anybody? 
<sighs> let's take the deep side. No, I'm, I'm, I'm half laughing for all the listeners that know. So the, the, I think anyone that wanted to be associated with it were in a position, A, they were probably in earnest and they loved it and they loved the bands and they're okay. I think the majority were ones that were derivative of bands and were riding the wave. Uh, I was at labels at that time where it was. Yeah. I was in A and R meetings, and they were like, "Get us an emo band." I mean, that's literally <laughs> what they said in, in like two thousand one or whatever. Two thousand yeah, two thousand one. I got called into my the president and was like, "Find me more bands. Find me right. emo bands." And this was, you know, post Bleed American. You know, this stuff was on the radio, top forty. I think that that. That word then, and I think Mike kind of has talked about this in other interviews um, and quotes that I've read. You know, it just it just turned into something else, and yeah, that course. that era latched onto it, and that time period. But even before then, like like even back in '99 when when our record came out, like I would I would get annoyed when they would call it emo. Like even before all that stuff, I was like, oh, seriously. <laughs> Yeah, I think, and I think it's always been around. Like people were kind of like, it is the most hated uh, genre. I think I've yeah. ever. Yeah, well, the term is. I think I think the the premise of it doesn't make sense because it's like what what good music isn't emotional. Well, that's the problem. You know? I I have a site called isthisbandemo.com, and it's right. half joke, half serious. So there's bands that you put in, and it tells you if it's emo or not. And people will always tweet at me or email and say, "How can you say this and this?" And I'm like, I'm just you know. My context is punk rock, aesthetic DIY, and I I can't tell you why Evanescence is an emo. I, I if you get emotional, fantastic. It's just not. And there's debates and you know what's punk and what's metal and all those things. I just don't think there's anything as polarizing. I mean there there are there are people in the scene that will not come on the podcast based on the name of the podcast. Right. Uh, and I is does that happen with punk? Does that happen with I don't think so. It's a it's a really interesting thing to think about um that it's literally the most hated thing and I'm sure you guys want to run away from it as possible as as fast as possible. Um No, nah, I think I you know, we're used to it at this point. I don't think we can stop it. <laughs> it's like it is what it is. It's just funny to me. Like 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 I was saying earlier, you know, maybe maybe 10% of the songs that I would consider important in my personal evolution as a as a person or as a musician are, are in the subgenre of emo punk or emo core or whatever um and i don't i don't like the weird thing is i don't consider american football emo like we don't sound like any of those bands in my mind um but yet here we are i know you're 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 on the podcast no i and i i and i don't just i don't just listen to emo i mean i was at a show once and someone came up to me in new york and said what are you doing here um, as You're if not allowed I'm, to be here. Yeah, I'm not allowed anymore. to be here. I'm, I, I'm sorry. There wasn't a promise ring show for me to right. go to. Um, but that that sort of, I mean, I, I I was a metal director. I was I'm straight edge. Like I love hardcore. Like I there's right. everyone. Everyone is like your my my musical taste is not that. I just happen to be super nerdy about this one right. time period. Like that's the thing that you you feel like you want to change yeah. the perception of it in the culture, it's, which is exactly. cool. I, no, I, more it, power to you. It's just it's, but it's, I, I I bristle at like like. Well then, the Smiths are emo. Like, come on. <laughs> like, why does it have to start in 1986? You're right. I mean, there's these the, but you can see the lineage, and I think what what I um uh John. But what about Husker Du? Husker Du was a direct influence of Rights of Spring, but they're not emo. Like, no. how, you know, how far back? Why well, does it stop? 
I mean, I totally agree with you because when I, I met Eric from Christie Front Drive and I literally just harassed him, I asked him, like, we were in a bar and I met him through a mutual friend and I, this was 15 years ago. I bugged him, like, what did you listen to to make the, you know, Christie Front Drive? And he said, Buffalo Tom. And so mm-hmm. I went and listened to right. Buffalo Tom. I get that, that someone's bands before, but there was this interesting time where the internet wasn't really there yet. And maybe you had an email, but you still had to kind of work at it. And, the, you know, it was this, this, it was still hand to hand combat. And I feel like it was a special time before it got really fast. Things weren't, things took longer then. And there was some sort of cultivation. It was some sort of, it was like weeding out the week. Like you had to tour. You had to put out something physical. You had to get reviews. Things just didn't get, you know, it didn't go viral. Uh, Maybe in certain ways. But I loved that sort of time period. And there were other genres around that time, not just, you know, punk emo. But that's that part that I kind of have a, a reverence for. And you're right. Why is Husker Du not connected to it? But my whole thing, the guy from Vagrant, um, the owner, um, we, we had a convers- long conversation, two episodes worth, and that thing he kind of said was, I don't see the connection you know, from Hot Rod Circuit to Blackville Brides. And I kind of, kind of thought about that. Like There are connections to some of these things that aren't just music. Yeah, it's fun to think about. Yeah. I'm looking through all my old seven inches right now. All right, see, these. this is great. <laughs> the, so, what and, about and Shotmaker? Is that on your list? Yeah, Shotmaker's great. Yeah, they're they're great. Yeah, but the thing is, is I remember. I mean, there's these all these time periods. Like I was working at a merch booth, or I was working at a label's booth at a festival, and we had vinyl, and it was oh four oh five. Kids were picking it up, thinking it was a calendar. And yeah, you know, they're like, "Oh, cool, it's a saves the day calendar." No, it's the no, you don't even know what that is. So there's these, you know, and now vinyl is cool. So it's, I, I get it that it's cyclical and. A lot of bands I liked in the pop era, it just – it seemed like it got derivative and people latched onto that term. And for some reason, if you ask 10 people on the street, they're going to say, you know, eyeliner, black hair, uh, I'm sad and I cut myself. And right. those yeah. four things don't – Which is why mean... as an adult, you never want anyone to say your band is emo. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Please, no. Please leave me out of that. So that's why I feel like that's why – X band that won't hit me back about the podcast, but because of that. And that's what I'm trying to change this perception of this music had these connections in this community that yes, it was this name, but it was, it's, it's, it's never been respected. Kind of like comedies at the Oscars, you know, like, so let, but what, where did you grow up? What was your scene? Uh, I grew up in Vermont and, Vermont. Uh, and I had hardcore and punk shows to go to. I didn't I actually didn't see like a big show until I went to college. My first big show was like I saw Bad Religion. I think there was maybe like 800 people there. That hap- that was like the biggest show I'd ever seen. Um and before that it was 100 cap rooms to see hardcore bands or punk or I remember seeing, you know, if it was karate or I saw like Saddle Creek bands once in a while or Screamo, actual Screamo. Um so that was sort of what I grew up on. Yeah. Like in, in your scene, did you guys call it emo? Yeah. I mean, mean it? Like I mean, it? a friend, you know, if, if it was the blood link stuff or if it was, um, what else? Initial records or, you know, victory, you know, there were certain bands that were connected to it that right, uh, right. Were, were called yeah, that. Even, or, like in high school, I think we, we would say 
emo or screamo, but I feel like it was even it was always kind of tongue in cheek. I mean, I remember someone handing me Four Minute Mile and being like, "You got to check this out," and being like, "Oh wow, this is really cool." And she, the girl who I still talk to, she said, "Oh, this is this is called you know this is uh, emo. It's like you know it's like post." And I was like, "Oh, okay, right. cool." I mean, I, there's a flyer I have of uh, Shift, this band on Equal Vision that I helped out, and uh, they, you know, they were called Post Hardcore, and the band under them, Chamberlain, uh, you know, used to be called Split Lip. You know, it was like everyone thought they were a hardcore band, but they, you know, kind of changed their sound, and they were, you know, more like, you know, so it's those types of things kind of happen, and yeah, you can slice and dice, and people can think things a certain way, but. It got really popular, and a lot more people in whatever school or place I was in started listening to these things. And that's when it mm-hmm. – I'm happy that the bands got popular, but it's like it was there popular for like three years, and then they moved on. They moved on to EDM. Maybe they still had the record. They still loved it. But I'm more interested in someone that stays with that ethic throughout your life, and there's things that you do because of it. Um, but you're, you're talking about like the DIY ethos, right? Yeah. And this, this is part of it. That punk, you know, it, it is, it's part of it and it didn't, I'm not saying you can't get a bus and be successful and be a band and and be true to it. It's just that, uh, I think sometimes you have to be really careful in how you present it because I don't know, I just, I, it literally, it's been dragged through the mud and now with this resurgence of a supposedly nostalgia, it's now being dragged through the mud again, and it's hard to remind people about the history. People only want to remember those three or four years. I get it. Right. You had a great time then. High school was awesome. I had a great time in high school too. But I also, like you said, Husker Du, when someone told me about X band, I went back. And then I'm, I'm looking forward too. There's so many awesome bands right now, and they all connect. They're all in that same window of or not window but same they have these tentacles to each other yeah Yeah. and that's what i like to have people remember that how do you you not consider fugazi as part of that lineage though they 100 percent are if you look them up in the site it says uh they are not an emo band but they're the reason every band you like exists totally (laughs) like every every band that we knew always had two singers because everyone wanted to be fugazi yeah and you know they've that's been such a legacy, you know, for them and they've kept it through. And when I got to interview the guy from Love It Records, you know, it was beautiful to talk to him because he's worked at, you know, Discord forever and to be able to hear his stories. And um, we ended up going to school. We didn't realize this, but we were going to school, you know, 40 minutes apart in North Carolina um, when, you know, he was doing Love It and just being able to, to... Have you tried to get Ian and Guy on this thing? I'm, I'm really nervous because I want to not fuck it up. And so Brian from Love It, I told him, like, look, at some point I'm going to have the confidence to ask you if you could just put in a good word. (laughs) Because he's been asked about this so many times that I want to have a different – I want to be able to have something different for him. Um, And maybe that will be some point. But at this point, I'm I'm, I'm too nervous. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) That would be the – Yeah. I mean he's – he is it. Like the – Yeah, that's that's kind of the the ultimate – get yeah and then the show he did a mac rock uh i don't know if you remember the mac rock festival but it was at james madison university it was uh, i think 10 or 11 years straight he they fugazi performed and he did like a talk 
And it was in like a classroom at, at, on campus. And I just remember it being packed and it was unbelievable. Like I literally was just hanging on every single word. Um, and it's just, you know, he can do no wrong. And I think his aesthetic and I just interviewed somebody, this guy, Jeff Rosenstock, and he's got this, he's, Jeff's had, got these same little pieces of that and he's younger and now he's doing it and spouting those words or saying those things. I love that. I love that you're, you're, you're talking about someone in the past, but you're also hopefully influencing someone else in that crowd to do it just like a zine might, but now it's, you know, through the internet. Yeah. I mean, for us, like, everyone that we knew or were like, related to, like if there was no discord records, there would be no Midwest emo, as you know, it. like Kevin jazz, American football, braid, Rain Maria, promise ring, all those bands, like, discord <laughs> that was the altar that we all worshiped all the band came off of discord that was our thing it's it's really interesting how many it it's just it I, not interesting it is it is there should be more things about them and maybe it's going to take another 10 years for it or we're going to find out after you know after it is done maybe the label whatever it is maybe another iteration we're going to be able to look back or someone else will it's just the impact on independent music and it's worldwide. There's, yeah. You know, not like, just like still blows my mind that, you know, how, how have, and I'm sure they sold way more records than we did when they were actually a band, but how do more people nowadays know who American football is than like, I think they were amazing. Yeah, that's incredible band. But if you like, I feel like a lot of those bands are kind of forgotten now for whatever reason. And by the kids. Yeah, and, and I think it's that it's that education part. And the best part about the DJ nights that we do is that I will play a new band and someone older, like my age or older, will come up and say, Hey, what was that? And I'm like, Oh, it's this yeah. band. And I'm like, oh cool. And then I'll play an old school band and a kid'll come up, a younger kid in their twenties. Hey, what was that? Oh, it's that band's first record. Oh, I only have their fourth one. Oh, I'm gonna go back and check that whole cross pollination. Thing I think is so important, and again, it isn't just this. I'm going to put the breakdown here. I'm going to sound this. I'm going to scream. I'm going to do this, and it's more about the fashion show. I just I don't vibe with that. I just don't. It's I really I think there's this beautiful musical scene that there's more bands like I never say I know everything. Um, and someone told me about a band today that I didn't know about um, that's on No Sleep, and I listened to him today. I'm like, this is great. How have I not known about them? And I'm diving in and learning, and I love that. And I think I wish more people did. And unfortunately, more people are kind of like turn on Pandora and just you know let it let it slap them in the face. You can tell I never think about this stuff. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> You've been very generous to ask me to let me vent a little bit. I had... <laughs> no, it's fine. I, I'm I'm curious about it. So. I hear your perspective. Yeah. I what about also, Navio Forge? Is that on your list? Which one? Navio Forge. Where are they from? Uh, I think they're from California somewhere. That's a good one. Navio? How, how do you spell that? Sorry. N A V I O Forge. F O R G E. Oh, okay, I'll check them out. Yeah. Intense. Mo Screamo. Something rather. That's a good one. Look that up. Yeah, there are so many bands that were. That's the thing that always blows my mind. It's like most most of the bands we came up with are bands that I liked as a kid. Like, like why you know why does one band catch on and some other one doesn't? Like that's always kind of the mystery to me. 
like, I don't think American football is any better than most of the bands that we're friends with and play with. But for whatever reason, this one caught on. You know, it's a weird mystery. Yeah, it's work. I mean, as working at a label, you have, you know, you launch, you have your marketing plan, you think everything's going to go and then something doesn't happen. Or you have a record that you didn't think was going to do well and all of a sudden something happens outside of it. They get a crazy show offer from X band and then they played these, you know, bigger venues and then it snowballed from there. Like those kind of things, you just can't, it isn't math. Um, you know, the sort of this thing and even though people like math core, even that stuff's not, you know, you can't ever think something's going to happen. I mean, I joked with everybody else when I got the record in college, I liked it. I played your song on the, uh, on the radio when I was in college radio, but I liked promise ring more, you know, that was like, I loved Mike and I loved everything, but promise ring was like, Oh, I'm going to listen to this more. And it was a yeah. good record. I didn't think you and everybody else. Exactly. <laughs> I were a way bigger band than we were. No one cared about American football. And as like a crazy fan, I mean, I, I was just as crazy as I am now in college about all these bands and going to see them. And I, it was, it was still, yeah, I had the record, but it, I listened to promise. Room. You might have seen us though. We opened for promise. Room at NYU. Were you out there? No, I was, what year was that? 90. I was, I was, I was in uh, North Carolina then. Okay. God, I would have been there though. <laughs> I moved to New York in 2000 and I was long gone. Yeah, nobody, nobody cared about our band when we were a band, which is the funny thing. That's that part that's, I mean, I just, I think, I think it's, it's the internet, you know, everyone was sharing and I mean, think about it if you guys, if Napster and things like that weren't happening, like polyvinyl might, you know, maybe Matt would be in a mansion. Um, the amount of times people yeah. probably were yeah, we, we just that missed the era where people actually bought records. Yeah. <laughs> just missed it. <laughs> just missed it. Uh, you know, it's interesting. You're kind of going through your seven inches, though. There's a a thought I've had recently about talking about those obscure seven inches or bands that you know people. You know, maybe yeah. it's like that obscure. I should, I should send you pictures of these. Like I got a Hoover Lincoln split seven inch. You got this one? No. Art Monk Construction. Oh, I love Art Monk. Their first record. Art Monk had some good stuff. Did Art Monk put out Seven Story Mountain? I think he had a Seven Story Mountain know. record. I can't remember now. Did you ever get into Tetsuo? That was a local band no. here. How do you spell that yeah, one? That was, that was a cool band. Uh, Tetsuo, T-E-T-S-U-O. They were awesome. And that was like a Chicago band? It was a Chicago band, yeah. They used to play with Kep and Jazz and Gage and all those guys. So that, that it's so it's uh, you know again there's no place for to kind of there's a couple sites online to learn about this stuff and that's what kind of got me thinking about there was a a thought about having like a you know a gallery showing of you know artwork flyers seven inches yeah and... some of these are awesome like I, I'm looking at the first Joan of Arc seven inch this thing's beautiful like it's a really cool artwork. And, and, you know, the that was ring, it. Yeah, like, the remember, promise ring, the first seven inches are cool looking. Wow. How many do you have? I've got a little box full. You might. I might make you just take photos of all of them for the archives. Yeah. <laughs> There's probably stuff that you haven't seen. Uh, that's got the really first cool. Captain Jazz seven inch right here. No no one knows how many shows American Football actually played because it's only memory. <laughs> like, like Mike says it's 10. I say it's probably 25. Lamos doesn't have any idea. You know, it's, nobody knows. Yeah. You we weren't writing shit down. down. You didn't have your no. phone to like, you might've had like a little book to write stuff down, but it's not like you have that anymore, nor did you no, go we, look at it after didn't. the week was done. 
did not document anything. So we crazy. didn't even document the tunings. We, <laughs> we play them now, and they're I'm I play them. I think I'm pretty sure I'm right. Pretty sure Mike learned them all in the wrong tunings. I remember when uh, when Mineral was doing their reunions and Chris asking me if I remembered, you know, because I'm a guitar player, and he was like, "Do you remember any of these?" <laughs> Like song yeah. that he wrote. <laughs> That's funny. Because that happens. You know, years pass, you forget. <laughs> yeah, no, it's easy to forget. <laughs> Just the other day I wrote a new song and I showed these guys we were at a show. I didn't record it. And then like a month later, I'm like, oh shit, how'd that go? Well, oh, lost it. Lost the time. It's gone. <laughs> yeah, got to record these things. I have a good one for you that I, I don't know where it is. One, one of the tapes I sent to Vinyl had and it might be the only copy in the world, uh, Cap and Jazz, before their first anything, like we were in high school, it was before even that like first single came out. Really? Played on a local college radio station, and I have the whole recording of that show, and they played probably, I don't know, six or eight songs that never got released in any format. And wow. One of them, Sam sings. It's called like Billy's Big Butt or something. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. It, was in, it had to be 92, maybe. There's a kid. Has that stuff ever been released? No. I don't even think they did anything with it. I don't know where the tape went. Wow. I would release that. That that would be right up my alley. <laughs> e- email Matt at Polyvinyl. See if they've got it sitting around somewhere. That's funny. Well, dude, I thank you so much for the time. I really, you know, stoked to catch up, and I hope, you know, people get excited about this record, and I think you guys are going to have a nice little run with this. Yeah, thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. Great talking to you. Thank you for listening to the Washed Up Emo podcast in this American football series. Thank you to Polyvinyl Records, Chase and Amber over at the management company, all the dudes in the band. Thank you for taking hours out of your life to do this and spend some time talking about your history, which is very important. Everybody, please pick up the new record. It is fantastic. And if you like this podcast, please uh, send a note, leave a review. Hit me up on the internet. And once again, a reminder, if you want 10% off your order, hit the code WASHEDUP at polyvinylrecords.com. Thank you for listening again. We will see you next time on the Washed Up Email Podcast. 